0: Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com.
1: Hi, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, a speaker, and a ministry leader, and I am passionate about helping people live in freedom. Because life is too short, and we have too much to do for any of us to live enslaved. I would love to connect with you online or on social media. You can find me, just just Google my name, Jennifer Slattery. And today we're talking about perhaps one of the greatest hindrances, at least in my opinion, to Christian growth, and that's fear of moral failure, or to put it another way, failure to really grasp, to accept, and live in Christ's grace. Salvation. We, we get that we can't earn our way into heaven or into right standing with God. To receive salvation, to receive God's gift of grace, we have to come to Christ with an understanding and acceptance of our true state of who we really are. And We're sinners. We don't love God and others as we should or even as we want to. And more than that, we're incapable of doing so. Scripture tells us the consequences for our moral failure is eternal separation from God. But thanks to Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection through faith by believing Jesus was who he said he was, the sinless Son of God, who did what he said he did, died to pay for our sins, and rose victoriously from the grave, when we believe that, we receive salvation. We're reconciled with God the Father, and we receive a deposit... Of the Holy Spirit into our core, and He is our power source. Once we've accepted God's free gift of salvation, our ability to live as God desires, that doesn't change, not apart from Him. We're still, apart from Him, we're still hopeless and helpless. But here's the beautiful part we are no longer. Apart from him. That's the beauty of grace. To the contrary, we become united with him, or, or scripture says we are in him. So Christ makes his home within us. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, resides within us as well. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to give us the strength, the wisdom, and the desire to love as God di- intends, to display the fruits of the Spirit. So our faith begins with grace and it's sustained. By grace. And this is such a hard concept for us to grasp, even if we, we might understand intellectually, but it's how we live it out that shows whether we truly understand this truth. And largely because we don't often receive grace in our interactions with one another. We have spent a lifetime of not receiving grace. So one day I met a woman for coffee and she was a pastor's wife and she was struggling and she was talking about some of her struggles and and basically she was explaining how hard it was for her to accept God's grace and to live in his grace, mainly because she had grown up in a in a condemning household. Her father was really harsh and really critical and she could never measure up and when she didn't please him, she felt as if she was cast aside. And so that was her experience with failure, with messing up. And she carried that because, like I said, she had a lifetime of being trained in that mentality without probably her even being aware of it a lot of times. And she brought that mentality into her relationship with Christ. And it's going to take her time to really unpack that because she's got this lifetime of a false reality. And now God needs to shift it and give her true reality of resting in him. And I think sometimes that's the same for us. We are so used to, when we mess up, people tend to cast us off. They're like, I am done with you. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to deal with this behavior, whatever it is. If you act a certain way, then I'll welcome you in. But Christ, he behaved so opposite to that. He said, yes, you messed up. You sinned. And I'm not okay with that sin. He doesn't say sin is great. He doesn't condone it. But how he responded to sin was he opened wide his arms to welcome us near. He died for our sins so that we can be brought near. So like I said, when other people say, your sin, when you sin, I'm going to cast you off. Jesus says, when you sin, I am going to draw you close. And that's so important for us to grasp because in my conversation with this woman, as I was listening to her just explain and talk about her guilt and her condemnation, and she kept using words like, I should do this and I should do that. I should be—I should have my act more together than this. i I should be farther along than this. And just all of this guilt, but all of her focusing on what she should do or wasn't do or couldn't do, that wasn't helping her live in Christ's power, that wasn't drawing her closer to God. If anything, it was pulling her away because she was becoming increasingly self-obsessed and self-reliant. Because when we sit in that place, we're like, I should do this, I should be able to do this, I should be farther along than this, we're putting the emphasis on us and our strength. And usually we will respond by trying harder. But, But we find strength not through striving, but instead through yielding experiencing God's power in us. God says, come to me, lean into me, yoke up with me, and I will give you strength and the power to do everything that your faith prompts you to do. You might have heard the phrase, yoke up with Jesus. It comes from Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29. And Jesus, he basically said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So there's a couple of things of there are a couple of phrases I really love from this passage. First, Jesus is speaking to those of us who feel as if life's demands are just too heavy. He's speaking to all of us who feel as if we're always trying to measure up as a mom, as a dad, maybe as a friend or as a daughter, a co worker, a boss, a ministry leader, a, social media participant. That is exhausting in itself. More specifically, in context, he was speaking to all of those who were trying to earn their salvation by keeping the law, this this list of requirements by following all the rules the religious elite continually emphasized. They had something like 613 different rules that they required people to follow, and those who followed the rules best according to their way of thinking, had the most spiritual clout. They were like closer to God somehow. But Jesus flipped this, saying, let all that go. Come to me. Let me do the heavy lifting. And that's what he meant when he said, take my yoke upon you. And there's so much symbolism and truth implied in this analogy. And to understand it all, we first have to understand the image it would have invoked in Christ's first century audience so when plowing their fields farmers often paired oxen they they attached two paired oxen to a plow and those oxen were attached to one another by a yoke and so the yoke was basically a, a a double wooden harness that connected these two oxens together, and it allowed them to share the load, so to speak. And that alone sounds lovely, doesn't it? To have someone who's continually attached to us, walking beside us, ever ready to share our burdens. But Jesus takes this even further. He doesn't just share our burdens. He carries them. Psalm 55 verse 22 tells us to cast our cares on the Lord and he will sustain us. And 1 Peter 5 7 tells us to cast our anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for us. So in this Matthew 11 passage, Jesus is offering to shoulder the weight of our salvation and he shoulders the weight of our morality too. As Philippians 1 6 implies saying, Being confident of this, or you could phrase it differently, saying, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God began the good work in you, and God will carry the work. He will complete the work. And this means he who deposited grace in our hearts, We'll continue growing it until we have become conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's God's goal, to make us resemble Christ in our thoughts, our desires, our attitudes, and our actions, so that when others look at us, they will understand who God is at his core. We're his representatives, but... We're not there yet. We're so we're so not there. I certainly am not. I I routinely don't do the things I wish I would and I do and say the things I wish I hadn't like on a daily basis and this is especially true whenever I rely on my own strength. When I hit pause, however, and I spend time with Jesus, I begin to experience his power, his love, and his strength pouring through and then out of me. And that's the beauty of the gospel. We find strength and life change not through striving, like I said earlier, but through yielding. And when we recognize that, that everything good within us comes only through Jesus Christ, there is nothing to fear because it's not up to us. And that gives us the peace and the confidence just to draw closer to him. And as we do, we experience more of his power, life-changing power flowing through us. And that's a process that involves allowing God to change how we think and thus how we behave because our actions and our thoughts are very closely intertwined. And this is where the learning comes in. So in the Matthew 11 verse I referenced earlier, Jesus said, come to me and learn from me. I love that. Learn from me, Jesus said. We don't know how to live in a way that pleases God. And in fact, likely much of what we've learned up to this point in our life has been contrary to God's ways. We need to be taught, which is why Jesus said, learn from me. So my daughter, she has always been a bit of a pleaser. She's kind of, I, I had done one of those personality back, I don't know, this was before like the Enneagram and all that. And and she basically is like a Ruth. And so she's kind of a, a servant helper. And she loves to know that she's pleasing you. She thrives on feeling like she's pleased you. But she this can have a negative side, whereas she worries extensively about displeasing you. And so when she was growing up, and if she would, mess up as all kids do. She would say to me, mama, I feel like I'm always messing up. I feel like I'm never going to get any better. And And I would say to her, baby, you're supposed to mess up. You're a kid. I expect you to mess up. That's why God gave you me. It's my job to train you and to grow you. And I'm going to come along beside you. And I feel like God is saying the same thing to us. If if you're like me, there are many nights where you're just like, you look over your past day or maybe your past week or maybe even your past month, whatever it is. And you're like, God, I am always messing up. And I feel like he just looks down on us with love and open arms, ready to draw us near and says, baby. I know you are, and I kind of expect that, but that's why I sent you Jesus. So we're to learn from him, and we're to draw strength from him. Jesus modeled how to live in a way that pleases God. And one super important way that he did that was by demonstrating a life lived in constant Connection with the Father. So, scripture often calls this abiding, or maybe you've heard remaining in God. And Jesus expands on this idea in John chapter 15. You might be familiar with the passage. So, he began by equating himself to a vine and his followers to branches that were attached to the vine. And this is from the New International Version, and it's verses four to five. He said, Remain in me, which as I said, that means to live in connection with and dependence on. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you. So again, remember that's if you are in constant connection with and dependence on me. Jesus said you will bear fruit. Much fruit apart from me, you can do nothing. I have so lived the truth of Christ's last statement. In fact, sometimes I live that on a day to day basis. It's like I'm living in close connection with Him and then disconnection with Him. And whenever I am disconnected from Him, and the longer I grow disconnected. From him, the longer I go where I'm not praying or I'm not reading scripture, whatever it is, the more I tend to become moody, irritable, selfish, prideful. And when I behave that way, just all sorts of fear rises up and a bunch of lies lies like, I can't do better, I'm terrible, I, I, I keep, I'm, I'm never going to move past this, whatever it is. All of those lies crop up, and I'm tempted to live in, in self condemnation and in guilt, or I'm tempted to say, okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better, or I'm not going to go into that situation that maybe will make me behave in this way. All of these conditions where I'm striving in my own strength to deal with a behavior I have zero power to deal with instead of just drawing nearer to Jesus. All of that striving, it does not help me do better. I might in the short term. I I might be able to modify my behavior for a while, but only Jesus can transform me internally. Only he can make love flow deep within and then out of me. And whenever, like I said, whenever I am in that striving mode, that only distances me from Christ by keeping me self-reliant, focusing on myself. And Christ is my power source, the source of all that is good and lovely within me whenever i sin so again my my initial response or or my my i'm tempted to respond in in self-condemnation or in guilt but jesus always always responds with grace a grace that draws near and i want to give another story to kind of exa- to show how i think jesus looks at us in our day to day my sister shared a story with me one year and At the time, my nephew, he was a toddler, and and he has a very strong personality. He's probably going to be like Mr. Leader, world changer. And so if you've ever had a really strong leader as a toddler in a phase when they want to be leader anyway. So that was my nephew. And I don't remember what was going on at the time, but I know my sister found it challenging. And as I'm sure we all find toddlerhood challenging. But she told me, she said, one day... He obeyed with a smile and there weren't any temper tantrums or yelling or or screaming or any of that. And, And she celebrated. She rejoiced in that moment. And here's the thing, because she was a mama, so she knew she was a mama of a toddler. She knew another temper tantrum was coming. She knew there would be other behavioral issues that she would have to deal with. But she still rejoiced in his progress. She rejoiced. In that win, in that when he made the choice, when he made a good choice to live as she desired. And I feel like sometimes that's how God looks at us as well. Like he knows we're in our terrible twos or or in our angsty teenage phase, whatever it is. And and he knows we're going to have our temper tantrums and our complete meltdowns and our moments of, of rebellion. He gets it. I mean, that doesn't mean he loves it, but he gets it. But when we respond to his grace by living it out in and through us, when we soak in his love deeply and his power and we begin to express that to others and in our relationships, he rejoices because he knows we're in a state of growing. Perhaps one of the best biblical examples of this is Peter. Now, you might be familiar with him. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. I can really relate to Peter. He had a severe case of foot-in-mouth disease, which I, I do. And he also he tended to be impetuous. And he made big emotional promises that he didn't always have the power to follow through on. Can you relate? So. Let me set the backdrop. So this was shortly before Christ's death, and he gathered all his disciples close, and he warned them about everything that was about to come. That had to be just a really somber, terrifying, really confusing time period. And so he said, like, he told them that he was going to be betrayed and that everyone within this tight inner circle would abandon him. To which Peter replied, in essence, saying, No, I won't. I will lay down my life for you. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew not only that Peter would fail him, but he knew that failure would have the potential, could have the potential to drive Peter away. And Jesus was not willing for that to happen. So he prayed for him. Now stop and consider that for a minute. The night before his brutal death, Jesus prayed. For the very one who had abandon and betray him. His goal, his goal was to, after it was all done, was to usher Peter close. To restore the relational rift, Peter's sin, and, and likely his resultant guilt, had created, and we see a beautiful picture of this in John 21 verses 15 to 17, which tells of Peter's behavior after his betrayal. So Scripture tells us that he had returned to fishing, and it's almost as if he was saying, "You know what? I thought I could do great things for God, but when things became difficult, I I cowered. Why would He ever want me to serve Him now? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like?" I've messed up in this area. I've blown it too bad. Why would God ever want me to serve him now? Why would I ever even think I have the ability to serve him now? And we can allow our fear of failure, the fear that our our moral failure somehow disqualifies us in the future or will keep qualifying us, that it will hold us in bondage. We can allow that to hinder our service to God. And Peter was probably also confused as to what the whole previous three years of his, his life following and learning from Jesus had meant in light of the crucifixion. The disciples still didn't really understand Christ's death and resurrection at that point. So Peter returned to what he knew, to what I think probably felt comfortable. But here's what's beautiful. Jesus sought him out. Just like he does with us every time. Every time we get caught up in sin, Jesus seeks him out and he draws us near. And that's what Jesus did with Peter. He invited him to a meal. That's such an intimate interaction, isn't it? When we actually sit and have a meal with someone. And Jesus, the one who was betrayed, sought his betrayer out in order to welcome him close and a conversation followed where Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. And there's no way, anytime we try to answer a why in scripture, why did God do that? Why did this person do it? If it's not clearly revealed, it's just speculation. So we don't really know why Jesus asked these questions or even this whole the whole conversation that followed. But some suggest That he asked Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, to sort of counter the three times Peter had betrayed him. And we don't know that for sure. But we do know that Christ asked him, Peter, do you love me? And then each time he would say, feed my sheep. After Peter replied for each one, he would say, Jesus would say, feed my sheep. So in other words, it's as if he's saying, you know what? You love me so okay move past this move past this Peter and start serving me get busy it's it's like he's making it clear and again this is my speculation but it's like he's saying damn Peter your past sin does not disqualify you for service nor and i think this is equally important nor does your past sin Guarantee that you're going to sin the same in the future. And I think sometimes that's our fear, isn't it? If we mess up in a certain way at a certain time, or maybe we even had a lifetime of a certain behavior. Because behaviors take time to unlearn. and, And we have this fear that we're going to behave that way in the future. And so it's like he's saying, you know what? Your past sin does not disqualify you, nor is it a predictor for you, nor is it your destiny. I am your destiny. I've already paid, Jesus said, forever. And this is my paraphrase, but I've already paid for every wrong you've committed or ever will. And I paid a high price for your forgiveness to give you grace. So rest in it. Like if I was sitting there listening to Jesus say, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. That is what it would have been saying to me, especially in light of his crucifixion. So often when we blow it, when we maybe act like a jerk or, or tell a lie or in some way live in a way that breaks God's heart, we, we can be tempted to to pull away. And, and, to, and, and I think in part we do this out of fear. Like I said, we're afraid that this sin will cause others, God included, to reject us. I think that's a big fear that's tied up into our fear of moral failure and, and into how we respond when we sin. And I think we're also afraid that, that that sin will reveal just how sinful we really are. And we're afraid we'll behave that way again. But, but Grace says completely differently. Grace says, yeah, we are, we're all kind of a mess. But it's okay because Christ paid for that. We don't have to be enough, good enough, smart enough, righteous enough. We don't have to be anything except God's child because Christ is enough for us. And in him, we are made enough. And our past sin do not determine our future behavior because God gives us, he rewrites our story the minute we come to him through faith. And it doesn't really matter if others reject or betray us. Although, I mean, I know that's not our goal, but we find our deepest connection with Christ and we trust that he is going to form relationships for us that frees us to live authentically for a long time i had this fear of moral failure and It would hinder me from serving because I would remember all the times that I had blown it in the past. And I'll give you one example. One day I was in the middle of moving and I was stressed out and I was anxious and somebody had sent me kind of a snarky email and I replied back with equal snark and I immediately felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I immediately apologized. Well, this woman, I later came to find out, she forwarded this email to like 12 other people And I just, I found out later by one of the person it was forwarded to, she contacted me and I was mortified, not just of of the situation, but really I had this fear. I was like, I didn't want to behave that way in the first place. And I was afraid if I was in another situation where I felt stressed or squeezed or whatever it was, that I was going to behave that way again. And I was terrified. And so I wanted to pull away. I didn't want to serve, but God just kept nudging me forward. And he showed me that my fear was hindering my obedience. Well, then I began serving again, and I was in a leadership role, and And one of my team members, she came to me one day, and she just let me have it for like, I don't know, it felt like 10 minutes. Maybe it was only two minutes, but she was just telling me everything that was wrong with me, and a lot of it were personality trait behaviors, you know, like you are to, you, you um, jump from one idea to the next. You're not, you don't communicate well enough. I mean, just, she just let me have it, and normally, like a year prior to that, I probably would have become instantly defensive. And I would have camped out in fear of moral failure, in feeling in in condemnation and defensiveness. But I had just read a book that had so transformed my thinking. It was the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. And it reminded me of grace. Somehow this book just really helped me sit in grace. And so I was able to reply to this woman. I said, you know what, you're right. I am all those things because I realized, yes, she was right. And all of those things she said just demonstrated what I already knew to be true. I needed Jesus, but guess what? I had him. And so I was able to reply to her, you know what? You're right. And this is how I'm going to work on that. And it took away that fear of moral failure, the fear of condemnation. And it allowed me, it helped me to live in grace. And I have to give a pause here. I want to ask, have you tapped into your power source? Have you received God's free gift of salvation because you cannot draw power from a disconnected power source. We have to be in Christ to receive His strength, His mercy, and His forgiveness. If you have not ever Turn to Christ for Salvation, I have a video on YouTube that I would encourage you to watch. It's like six minutes, and it's called Receiving God's Grace. You can find it. Go to YouTube, and in the search engine browser, type in Holy Love, and that will get you to the Holy Love page, and then on our page, you'll see a bunch of videos listed, and one of them is titled Receiving God's Grace, in that I explain why we need God's grace, and then also how we receive it. And that small snippet is taken from a larger video, which you can also find on our YouTube channel. And that is pulled from our Becoming His Princess Bible study. It's week seven, titled Living in Grace. So again, you can find that, go to YouTube, go to the Holy Loved channel, and then Look for the one that's titled, Becoming His Princess, Week 7, Living in Grace. And go to the Holy Love website, holylove.com, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y.com, to download a free e-copy of our Bible study. I thank you for joining us for this episode. I think this is an area we can all grow in. It's certainly an area, I believe, that's very important to Christ. And I would love it if if today resonated with you. I would love it if you would rate today's podcast, if you would share it with your friends. You can find the show notes for today. Go to crosswalk.com podcast backslash. And I'll have the show notes along with some discussion questions. Gather your friends around to talk these things out. And Remember, we have so much to do. God has such a great call on our life. He already paid for every sin that we ever have committed, and every sin we will commit. And He knows we're not there yet, but He's committed to getting us to where we need to be. And we find that as we lead into Him. So, go in love, go in grace, go in power, and go in
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Do you want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith?